0: Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Apple unveils its long-awaited iPhone 14. We take a look at what's new with the phone. A judge allows Elon Musk to use a whistleblower's claims in his case against Twitter, but a Twitter lawyer says Musk has a different reason for trying to drop the deal. European families may have to pay $2 trillion more for their electricity bills. How exactly did they get into this position? We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. Apple's unveiled its long-awaited iPhone 14, although the more exciting features went into the iPhone 14 Pro lineup. The most noticeable new feature is on the display. The notch is being replaced by a pill-shaped cutout. the first major display redesign for the iPhone since 2017. Another major feature is that the iPhone 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max will have an always-on display. Camera got an upgrade too. It'll take photos with way higher detail. It's now a 48-megapixel sensor compared to the 12-megapixel camera on the iPhone 13. Inside the iPhone 14 Pro model is Apple's A16 Bionic Chip. The chip is a 4 nanometer process, basically translate to better power efficiency. And another impressive feature is the ability for the phone to connect with satellites whenever your cell or Wi-Fi service isn't available. Although this is only for emergency situations. There's also a new feature that may put off some users in the United States. The new phones won't let you use physical SIM cards anymore iPhone 14s are ditching the SIM card tray. That means you can only use eSIMs. iPhone 14 Pro will start at $999. The iPhone 14 Pro Max starts at $1,099. Pre-orders start Friday. And a judge today allowed Elon Musk to add a whistleblower complaint to its Twitter countersuit. Musk is trying to get out of buying Twitter. The company sued him to try to force him to complete the deal. Last month, a Twitter whistleblower said the company misled regulators about spam accounts and data security. Musk's legal team said they want more time to investigate the allegations, but the judge won't delay the trial, saying it could harm Twitter. On Tuesday, Twitter's lawyers suggested Musk changed his mind because of the deal. About the deal, because of the conflict in Ukraine, the lawyer read a message Musk sent to a banker in May. It read, "Quote: It won't make sense to buy Twitter if we're heading into World War III." contract allows Musk to walk away under certain conditions, but war doesn't seem to be one of them. And a judge is ordering top Biden officials to hand over the records related to big tech censorship, some including Dr. Anthony Fauci and the White House press secretary. They've resisted, though. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on the lawsuit.
1: A Trump-appointed judge Tuesday ordered the government to quickly produce documents after it was sued by the attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri in conjunction with the new Civil Liberties Alliance, or NCLA. The NCLA is representing plaintiffs who were censored on social media for disagreeing with the White House's COVID-19 policy. Two of the plaintiffs are world-renowned epidemiologists. The initial tranche of discovery was released a week ago. It revealed that more than 50 government officials applied pressure to social media companies to censor users. But some officials refused to answer questions including Dr. Fauci and White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. The government claimed they should not have to answer all questions or provide records, saying the documents are not relevant to plaintiffs' claims. But the judge Tuesday said they need to comply. He said Dr. Fauci's communications would be relevant to plaintiffs' allegations of suppression of speech related to the COVID-19 lab leak theory and efficiency of masks and COVID-19 lockdowns. The judge said Jean-Pierre's communications as White House press secretary, along with her predecessor's communications, would be relevant to all examples. That includes suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story ahead of the 2020 election. As for Fauci, he also has to answer questions regarding his role as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. NCLA lawyer Janine Yunus, who's representing some of the plaintiffs, said they know from the previous round of discovery that censorship efforts came from the very top. Dr. Fauci and Jean-Pierre have 21 days to answer questions and hand over records. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: And A North Carolina senator avoided nearly $90,000 in stock losses at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. A 2020 search warrant affidavit revealed Richard Burr, senator, sold off $87,000 in stocks. Investigators said in the warrant that because of his position in Congress, the North Carolina Republican knew about the threat of COVID-19 in February before public concern of severe economic impacts from the pandemic had escalated. The Justice Department launched an insider training investigation into Burr, which eventually concluded without criminal charges. And many are in a rush to replace gas vehicles with electric vehicles, but are there adequate supplies of a material that's critical for EV production?
2: And Dishan Marshall takes a look. Is cutting the sale of gas-powered vehicles 50% by 2030 possible? There might not be enough lithium available to meet electrical vehicle goals. Yes, we'll eventually have enough, but not by that time, said Keith Phillips, CEO of Piedmont Lithium. There's going to be a real crunch to get the material. We don't have enough in the world to turn that much lithium production in the world by 2035. That's what he said in an interview with Yahoo Finance. I spoke with John Ryan, CEO of Gold Express Mines. He says we can probably get through the next 10
3: years. The big open question is whether the Thacker Pass mine in Nevada gets uh, approved. Um, it's, it's got a record of decision from the Bureau of Land Management, and um, there are some lawsuits surrounding it at the moment. Uh, but if it can proceed to construction, it's slated to produce eighty thousand metric tons of lithium carbonate a year, which uh, for forty years. So it's a it's a very uh, solid asset.
2: Ryan thinks one solution is to aggressively build bridges with countries like Argentina, Peru, and Bolivia.
3: It's been very difficult, you know, politically. The economic scene down there is is turbulent, and you're not going to get people to invest there without without some um, you know some assur- assurances. Uh, that their money is gonna be protected. Um, Argentina, you know, is better, but has a history of uh, monetary default and so on and so forth. It's a volatile place.
2: There are alternatives to lithium on the horizon, but still not viable replacements, like salt, magnesium, seawater glass, fuel cells, and liquid batteries. Each has its own drawbacks. One of the most promising lithium replacements available now, which doesn't require destructive mining, is iron flow batteries. Although too big for vehicles, they are more applicable for grid usage like charging stations and companies needing autonomy from the local area's electrical grid. Sean Marshall, NTD News.
0: And stock indexes rallied today, giving some respite to investors after recent sell-off. The Dow added 436 points, one and four tenths of a percent. S&P 500 rose 72 points, one and 810 of a percent, and the Nasdaq gained 247 points, two and one tenth of a percent. The new British Prime Minister Liz Truss said today she's not going to impose a windfall tax on energy producers. People in the UK are facing soaring energy bills and one proposal being considered is to tax energy companies' profits to help pay for that. Making her debut in Parliament today, Truss said she will help people in the UK with their energy bills but not by taxing big businesses. She went head-to-head with Labour Party leader Keir Starmer. The money's got to come from somewhere.
4: And she, she knows that every single pound in excess profits she chooses not to tax is an extra pound on borrowing that working people will be forced to pay back for decades to come. More borrowing than is needed. That's the true cost of her choice to protect oil and gas profits, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Mr Speaker, the reality is that this country will not be able to tax its way
1: to growth. The way way we will grow our economy is by attracting investment, keeping taxes low, delivering the reforms to build projects quicker. That is the way that we will create jobs and opportunities across our country.
0: some say trust may instead choose to freeze energy bills, which could cost the government over $100 billion. Truss is expected to announce their plan tomorrow. Electricity bills in European homes could surge by $2 trillion next year, according to a Goldman Sachs analysis. By next year, everyday Europeans could be paying around $500 a month for their electricity. Compare that to America, where on average we pay $117 a month. The state with the highest average was Hawaii at 162, still well below the United Kingdom. The analysis doesn't take into consideration the Nord Stream 1 pipeline shutting down. Russia has shut it down. Last year, 14% 14 of Europe's total gas consumption came from the Nord Stream 1. So Europe obviously highly dependent on Russia's natural gas. Over a fifth of Europe's energy comes from gas, which powers people's homes, factories, towns and cities. And Russia provided a massive 40% of it back in 2021. This gives Russia a lot of leverage over Europe as the country continues its invasion of Ukraine. So how did Europe put itself into this vulnerable position? Why are they relying on Vladimir Putin, who's been accused of assassinating and jailing political opponents, bombing parts of his own country to gain political power, and obviously invading neighboring countries? One major factor is the push for renewable energy, namely solar and wind. European leaders believe strongly that man-made greenhouse gas emissions are warming the planet in a way that would be terrible for life on Earth, and a lot of those emissions come from fossil fuels. Fossil fuels like oil, coal, natural gas are very reliable, though. Solar and wind energy are not. You Can't get power when the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining. It's also very hard to store that kind of energy especially in a large scale. So, cutting down on fossil fuels and building up this, at the moment, unreliable energy source has made the EU dependent on imports. And Russia's natural gas is both the cheapest and the most plentiful. In some locations, it's the only affordable import, and despite the problems with renewables, leaders are doubling down on green energy. Last week Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission, said she wants renewables to generate 45% of Europe's energy by 2030. Right now, it's 17%. And Putin's war in Ukraine isn't the only reason Europe's energy is expensive. It was already expensive to begin with. Daniel Akai manages over $6 billion at the Tressis hedge fund, Energy Expert. He's also heavily engaged in the energy sector. Mackay says another reason energy prices are so high is government intervention. In Epoch Times op-ed, he says that in Germany, only 24% of a household's bill are supplier costs, 24%. The rest are costs imposed by the government. This includes grid charges, a renewable energy surtax, a sales tax, an electricity tax, a concession levy, an offshore liability levy, a surcharge for combined heat and power plants, and a levy for industry rebate on grid fees. The CAI believes the government should stop intervening in the markets because that's why energy is so expensive in the first place. Since says many of these taxes and regulated costs have absolutely nothing to do with energy consumption. European governments believe very strongly in intervention, though. As the cold winter comes, they're considering natural gas price caps. This is a demand and supply chart. The The line sloping downward represents demand. The line sloping upwards represents supply. Quantity of natural gas in the x-axis and prices in the y-axis in the center, where the demand and supply lines intersect, we have the equilibrium price and equilibrium supply. This is where the amount of people demand is exactly the same as the amount companies are p- supplying. And in a free market there is no government intervention, we generally move toward the equilibrium, which is where we want to be. But this is what happens when governments impose a price cap. In the chart, the price cap is below the equilibrium price, which means if you look at where the red line touches the supply and demand curves, there will be less gas supply and more gas demand. In other words, shortages. Russia's VTB has become the first Russian bank to launch money transfers to China in Yuan without using the SWIFT system. SWIFT, of course, is the international messaging system that underpins financial transactions globally. In response to Russia's invasion, Western authorities have removed major Russian banks from SWIFT. That means lenders are effectively cut off from the global financial system. But VTB CEO said the launch of the yuan transfer system will simplify things for Russians and their Chinese partners. He said it will also increase the yuan's popularity in Russia. Russia, the largest tu- Russia's largest lender Tuesday, said it had already started lending in Chinese currency. And here to talk to entities Don Ma about the Russian bank bypassing SWIFT is Bart Kohler. He's a certified professional in the payments industry and also the chief revenue officer at credit card payment processing platform Paynuity. Bart,
5: pleasure having you on today. Now, just first off, just so that everybody is on the same page, just very briefly explain for us, what is SWIFT? What does it do?
4: SWIFT is a a money transferring system. It's a secure wire international transfer system that's participated by 200 countries, um, and and it allows people to flow money in and out. It also uses AML, anti-money laundering um, rules, along with KYC, know your customer rules.
5: So news is that Russian bank VTB said it was able to launch money transfers to China in yuan right, without using the international messaging system. Explain to us, what does that mean?
4: Well, it means several things. But for the sake of this conversation, it's bypassing some of the rules that are used with anti-money laundering rules and KYC, know your customer rules. So it's a very dangerous place for us to be in at this time because we don't know how that money's flowing, how it's being used. We can suspect that those monies are being transferred into the Chinese Yuan. And then they're um, taking that, transferring it into another currency, and then ordering products that are being shipped in from China. So they're completely circumventing the system.
5: And how should we feel about this, the US, the West?
4: Well, I think, like I said, it's a very dangerous spot for us to be in because it, it takes our eyes out of scope of what's happening in those areas when it's you know, very important for us from a, an international standpoint to understand and prevent crime and money laundering and these types of activities by using the SWIFT system. So by creating these workarounds, um, we're kind of in the dark. Not only are we not seeing the, any profits from these transactions in the West, it, it makes the dollar and the euro a little bit more insignificant uh, in these areas, and that's a dangerous place for us to tread. Because as China gains a lot of control over the economy and partnering with these state-owned Russian banks, it's something that um, it's it's a place where we really don't want to be, for the fact of security and the fact of profits.
5: Now you mentioned that it keeps us in the dark. How can Russia take advantage of this? Give us maybe a practical example.
4: A um, practical example would be where they have um, – the, the, bene- the benefits are for the Russians in the fact that their individuals and Russian companies can continue to familiarize themselves with these other foreign systems, and as they facilitate these transactions, we're in the dark, we don't see them, and then the goods and purchases and the financial transactions that are taking place have no oversight. And without oversight, we, we don't know what exactly is happening and how the, how they're going to be used. And so that puts us in a dangerous spot uh, in the West.
5: And it sort of sets a precedent, right? Because other countries are going to look at this and say, maybe we can do the same thing.
4: Exactly, yeah, it, it doesn't paint a very good picture for the euro and the dollar. And it creates um, you know, a necessary argument for, do we really need them in these certain parts of the world? And if, if we start to separate what we've already done to become more of a globalist economy and make things a little smoother and easier and safer, this is something where um, that, that's sort of a reverse effect.
5: All right. Thank you, Bart Kohler, Chief Revenue Officer, Pinuity. Appreciate you coming on today.
4: Thank you very much.
0: I still to come. Stay with us. Kim Kardashian is announcing a new gig, not in clothing or cosmetics, but on Wall Street. A boy who went viral for his love of corn gets a new title in South Dakota. With that and much more coming up on NTD Business. Kim Kardashian has a new gig, Wall Street Investor. She's partnering with Jay Sammons, a former executive with the Carlyle Group, to launch Sky Partners. The new investment firm will invest in fast-growing businesses across several sectors, including hospitality, media, and consumer products. The fund hasn't started raising money just yet. The duo says it will make both control and minority investments in companies. Salmon just left Carlisle this summer following a 16-year stint, during which he invested in several well-known brands. Kardashian started Skims. It's It's an apparel business that's valued at about $3 billion and was following a fresh round of fundraising earlier this year. Forbes reported last year that Kardashian officially became a billionaire thanks to Skims and who knew, who knew her makeup line, KKW Beauty. And in sports news, two major items from basketball legend Michael Jordan are up for auction, and one of them is the most expensive Michael Jordan item to come to market.
6: This is really one of the most iconic Michael Jordan jerseys that a collector could have. Um, so this is the 1998 NBA Finals jersey from game one of the Last Dance Finals. Uh, So when you think about Michael Jordan contests and kind of the heat of that moment, the 1998 NBA Finals, going into Utah, and what was ultimately actually still to this day the most viewed NBA Finals contest.
0: Bidding opened on Tuesday and will go through September 15th on Sotheby's website. It's estimated to fetch $3 million to $5 million. Bid on Tuesday morning was $2.75 million. If it breaks $3.7 million, It will be the most expensive basketball jersey ever sold at auction. Meanwhile, Bonham's plans to auction a pair of tickets to Michael Jordan's NBA debut in 1984. They're expected to fetch $200,000 to $300,000. Jordan, aged 21 at the time, played his first game as member of the Chicago Bulls at Chicago Stadium October 22, 1984. The Bonham's auction runs from September 19th to the 29th. And the man who once ran the Kohler Plumbing Empire Died Saturday, Herb Kohler Jr., was 83 years old. He was a third-generation Kohler to helm the company and served as CEO for 43 years. He's best known for bringing new designs and color choices to his company's fixtures. You've heard of the bold look of Kohler campaign that created that. It's been around for so long now, colors like avocado green and harvest gold were introduced under the banner. Kohler was generating $6 billion in revenue when he stepped down in 2015, up from $133 million when he started. Residents of his native Wisconsin also know Kohler for his five-star American club resort and four golf courses in the state, RIP. And in New York City, one of the latest additions to the skyline is a building holding the title of most slender skyscraper in the world. The tower is so thin that, it measures, that measures had to be taken to ensure it would withstand strong winds. And that is Andrew Thomas reports.
6: Steinway Tower in New York City is claimed to be the skinniest in the world. Greg Pascarelli was the lead architect. slenderness ratio is the width versus the height. So anytime it's one to 10 or more, that's considered a slender building. One to 15 or more is considered exotic and really difficult to do. The 60 apartments in the tower range from 18 million to $66 million and offer 360 degree views of the city.
1: This is the most slender of any of those designs and it looks miraculous, really, um, in the um, thinness of its proportions, which almost defy logic.
6: The skyscraper is more susceptible to natural elements, including wind. When the wind is up, the apartments at the top of the building move a few feet.
1: All tall buildings will sway in the wind, different amounts depending on their height and their stiffness, but wind is the force that buildings react to. About
6: 200 rock anchors descend into the underlying bedrock to provide a deep foundation. The facade was made of glass, textured terracotta, and bronze to slow down the acceleration of the building. The second way we slow it down is by putting this uh, large uh, damper, tuned mass damper, at the top that's 800 tons, Uh, It's made of solid steel that are plates that are put together and it's tuned so that when the building wants to move in one direction, the counterbalance moves in the other to slow it down. Steinway Tower is located just south of Central Park, along a stretch of Manhattan's 57th Street known as Billionaire's Row. At 1,428 feet, the building is the second tallest residential tower in the Western Hemisphere, second to the nearby Central Park Tower at 1,550 feet. The world's tallest tower is Dubai's Burj Khalifa, which stands at 2,717 feet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem has signed an executive proclamation naming a seven-year-old boy at the state's corn ambassador. Tariq, or the corn kid as he'd become known, became a viral video sensation for clips in which he enthusiastically declares his love of corn. Over the weekend, he accepted an invite to South Dakota's Corn Palace. As Tariq's fame grows, he's even catching the attention of celebrities, including Martha Stewart and Kevin Bacon. Fast food chains also taking notice. Last month, Chipotle posted a promotional video featuring Tariq on social media. And this is the latest in the NTD business team. i myself, Paul Graney. Can't follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. And if you have any news, tips, or feedback for this show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.